Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema and television. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're hashing out um, The Curse, which is a 10-episode cringe comedy on Showtime. It's created by Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, who also star um, alongside Emma Stone. We're calling this Blessings Upon the Curse. That's our title. Um, <laughs> because I think we both have a mainly positive reaction, but a complex one. Um, so I, I'm going to give a longer summary than maybe usual, um, just because it's one of those things that as you wade in, part of the experience is you kind of, <laughs> kind of <laughs> don't know how to take it. So I'm going to give you um, a lot of detail, perhaps more than you need, from the, from the first episode so you get this set up. Okay. So, The Curse. It's about an affluent white married couple named Asher and Whitney Siegel. They're played, played by Fielder and Stone, who are hosting a reality TV show pilot they hope to sell to HDTV. It's called Flipanthropy. It's produced and directed by the crass Dougie Schechter, played by Benny Safdie. And it's, um, the concept of the show is a combo of kind of all those home improvement and house flipping shows that you know very well, plus a kind of queer eye type um, philanthropy. Um, which is imposed in this case on the working class citizens of Española, um, New Mexico, which is, you know, right. It's right. What? Outside of San Diego, right? Yeah, north of Santa Fe. Yeah. I'm sorry. Santa Fe. What I'm saying. <laughs> yes, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Um, the show's good deeds, in quotes, um, involve p- providing housing to those getting gentrified out of the area. But this also takes the form of putting residents into the Seagulls' own eco homes, thus benefiting their property development company. Um, they, they also, the Seagulls are also trying to get jobs for locals in trendy new coffee shops and, and pottery stores they're invested in. The whole area is gentrifying and they're very much in denial about the part they're playing in it. They're so cluely, cluelessly convinced of their own beneficence that they think they're buying up indigenous art. They think that buying up indigenous art to decorate chic coffee shop walls will, will neutralize their own participation in the gentrifying process. On camera, the Seagulls promised to subsidize the new housing so that renters won't be paying more than they were before they got, you know, gentrified out of their homes. But even in the first episode, it's very clear the whole, this whole plan is wobbly and ready to collapse. A reporter is already investigating the source of the Seagulls' income and discovering that Whitney's um, father, Paul, who's played by Corbin Burnson, partly built his fortune as a local slumlord. The press doesn't know yet the full relationship between Paul's money and Whitney and Asher's company, but it's only a matter of time. And that's especially because Asher has no ability to manage the press and everything he does to placate them makes the publicity for flipanthropy worse. From bad to worse seems to be the socially stunted um, Asher's typical course in life. If you know Nathan Fielder's typical persona, (laughs) um, you will, you will, you know, you'll have a sense of how, of how incredibly awkward he is. One such painful scene inspires the show's title. He's urged by Dougie, producer-director Dougie, to go um, offer money to a young girl um, who's selling sodas in the parking lot to capture a fake spontaneous moment of seagull philanthropy, philanthropy on camera. Asher only has a $100 bill, but he approaches the girl and offers it to her with a, a very patronizing smile, saying, this is just for being you. Then, as soon as the scene is over, he, tr- he tries to get the hundred back from the girl so he can take <laughs> it to a nearby eatery and break and break it and then just give her a 20. He doesn't want to give her his whole hundred. The girl protests. Her sister and father then come forward to kind of defend her. Um, and, you know, and he, as he's finally pulling the bill out of her hands, she says, you know, in a kind of quiet rage, I curse you. Then there's this rest, the very typical of the show so far, a relentlessly escalating scene involving Asher's attempt to run across to, to the, the ATM in this local eatery um, to break the hundred so he can race it back <laughs> to the girl. <laughs> but the, there's a malfunctioning ATM, another shameful encounter with a local who's only trying to help him, but he's convinced he's trying to you know, get his PIN number so we can steal from him, Asher that is. <laughs> so when Asher gets back to the it's very typical of Asher. Asher gets back to the parking lot. The girl's gone, and from then on, things get just keep getting so much more relentlessly terrible, and the, and the dread is so building that it does make it seem possible the curse has actual supernatural power. So that's sorry, long setup, but it, it, I think it's kind of necessary. Yeah. Um, so let's just try basic takes first, and then wait in. Dolores, what did you think? 
Uh, I was really compelled. It's definitely like a cringe fest. Everything about it on every level. The marital relationship is cringe. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you just got to go, oh. Um, There's stuff about like micro penises and you see them. Cringe. Close up. There's a close up you're not ready for. Yeah. (laughs) And and probably the most cringe has to do with like the class relations and race relations and um, rich white people trying to be... Uh, aware and do things according to like Instagrammable values. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's very painful. It seems very accurate, as does the sort of like doomed to fail um, feeling of yeah. that venture. Mm-hmm. So like there's no way to be in this environment as a rich white person and not be taking something. Um, and it's like unsolvable. I I spent, I lived a long time in Santa Fe on and off throughout the years. I myself have totally fantasized about living in Española. (laughs) I would, I would never have the money to have like a fancy gentrified house or gentrifying, you know, like structure, but um, it, it's also, maybe this will come out. Española has really deep problems. It's one of the heroin capitals of the United States, mm-hmm. like really widespread drug use. Mm-hmm. It's in a very beautiful location, like about, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes North of Santa Fe on highway 84 to 85. And it, um, so it's like accessible to everything. It's close to like a dozen absolutely beautiful places to hike. I don't know, see stuff. I mean, it's like in one of the most, to me, one of the most beautiful landscapes like in the universe. And it's close enough to Santa Fe that it seems like totally right for this. But um, there, there is uh, like New Mexico is a third world country. It doesn't have any industry. Um, and that's part of, I, I hate to say it so like bluntly, that's part of the charm for tourists and mm-hmm. for people like me who go to live there with like no history there and no like consequences really for living mm-hmm. there, except like the benefit of its magic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's no, there are like no factories, like the people who live there either work service jobs, you know, construction or, mm-hmm. um, uh, some kind of like, you know, agriculture that yields nothing, um, some, a little bit of ranching, you know, and Mm. then there's this like super, super wealthy white upper class, especially in Santa Fe, like an international sort of jet setting upper class. And Mm -hmm. they must not pay taxes because I think the schools are among the worst in the nation, like number, uh, maybe the worst, like definitely in competition with like Mississippi. It's Mm. like, it's a really interesting. So the place has this beauty, this kind of like, uh, like undeveloped, obviously beauty that's like very alluring. And it's rare as a citizen of the United States to be around so much natural beauty. Um, And, you know, that seems there are places like Española that seem like so uh, ripe for, you know, good living because of their natural beauty, but they have like no, uh, there's no like industry or diversification of like finance like you know revenue sources to like make for a thriving community so you can't you just like economically cannot make something like this work um despite your good intentions and santa fe for one um it is full of people like the fielders who come in and think they're doing good (laughs) by you know like hiring locally and having really you know sometimes somewhat thought out um strategies for like uh not completely exploiting the place but it's like impossible not to and i like to think there are people out there who aren't as quite as self-delusional delusional as the fielders but of course Mm -hmm. like you know many people are um it's so painful and so accurate on so many levels i uh, I don't always love a cringe fest. I really don't, especially like a sexual one. Like the micro penis thing was like way too far for me and we can get into that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand what they were trying to say about it unless mm-hmm. it's like the lowest basis joke about like men's insecurities and oh. why they do like grand acts of terror. Um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't compelled by it. So mm-hmm. that stuff like doesn't, that didn't like move me, but I, I am haunted by the, I, I am haunted by the economic like impossibility of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, of, um, 
outsiders coming into a place like this, mm-hmm. probably because I, if I had money, that would be like my fantasy is to do mm-hmm. something <laughs> like these people. Not literally, you know, I, you know, I, I go to Berkeley, I know. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it just seemed really spot on in ways that I will not be able to shake for quite some time. Um, <laughs> how about you, Eileen? Well, you know, I... I also compelling is exactly the word. Like I, I have to watch this thing. Yeah. Even though I think I, I'm suffering much more acutely than you. <laughs> I am a very easy cringer. I, I just <laughs> I cringe at stuff that isn't a tenth as as vicariously embarrassing and shaming, um, which is the you know of course the, the the definition of what cringe comedy is all about. Yeah. Is this? But I I. I just am, I have that kind of morbid fascination going on. I just have to see this. And especially because they start at a level of painful cringe. So all you can think is 10 episodes. Where are 10 episodes going to take you? Yeah. And all I can think is it's got to build to something so horrifying because they layer it so that there's something horrifying happening at every level. Yep. There's two episodes available now and you're kind of watching it happen. Every every relationship, there is nowhere to settle that you don't feel bad. So true. The mar- the marriage is terrible. The the relationships to the parents seem are terrible as much as we've seen. We've only we've only really seen the father. The relationship the, the producer director guy, uh Dougie, is a nightmare. Um, yeah. we find out in episode two, well, he's very, very dark and weird, but always kind of laughing in this kind of fake way and always insisting on pushing his most outlandish ideals, ideas on them for filming and, and insisting like that this is standard. This is standard in the industry, which, you know, you speak of like it haunting you because you're so familiar with the, the area in Santa Fe. <laughs> but for me, yeah. it's, it's that showbiz claim that just killed mm-hmm. that me like a knife because i was an independent <laughs> filmmaking for a while and that's exactly what they'll tell you they will tell you that oh no this is that and, and you and it cows people horribly to hear that they don't know what the standard is so they then will try to meet the standard no matter how stupid it is so and we're gonna find out what his we're finding out what his back he's an alcoholic he's he's he was involved in a car accident that you know wound up killing his was she his wife or his girlfriend his wife i think his wife yeah his wife and so it just it immediately was already fairly, you know, darkish. And then it just plunged into the abyss of darkness in episode two with that character. Obviously, the economic aspects, everything they're trying to do is bad. Everything. The encounter with the girl and then just getting a glimpse of her family. And you're just like, you know, that's going to expand. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the last we've seen of the girl and her family. So Every, at every level, everything Nathan does to try to fix what he already did, you know, the, with the reporter who's after him he, in episode two, he he's promising her a counter story so she won't go on investigating the sources of their financing and tying it back to the slumlords who are Whitney's Whitney's parents. Are these, these, they, they have no objection to think of themselves as slumlords in the area. So in order to sort of put her off the scent, he's promised her a different story about a, a gambling, like a casino where he used to work, that he can get her these documents. And so what he, he winds up going through to get the documents is just like hair-raising <sighs> madness that can't, you don't even want to say it can't end well. Nothing can end well here. It didn't start yeah. well, and it's not going to end well. And it can only get worse at an exponential way. And I should note the pace. Some people are coming, just talking about it's excruciatingly slow. I don't think I'm finding huh. it quite as slow. No, I'm me neither. By the, the nightmarish detail. <laughs> so, I, I know what they mean. It's very methodical in the builds, you know, mm-hmm. in the relentlessness of the builds. I'm, I, yeah, there's a lot of critical commentary on it being so slow. Um, yeah, I don't think it, it paid, it, it didn't seem quite as slow to me, but I know what I know what they mean in that you have to just dwell and dwell and dwell on things. You know, it, scenes where you'd love to cut away and it just won't cut away. That kind of thing. Yes. Which is kind of typical of cringe. Yep. Um, yeah, it's pretty much pretty basic to cringe. It's got to build relentlessly. But this just seems they seem to have found a formula to make it exponentially more agonizing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I I had to write about it for Jacobin. I already wrote my review, and I and I wrote about it. It has that feeling of of those terrible dreams that you desperately want out of. 
but yes. you can't. You have to stay and you have to see it through to the end. And that's that's definitely how it feels to me. And of course, the marriage is so acutely awful. Oh, just everything about the interaction of the two just makes you just go, oh, <laughs> these two people should never have been together ever. You no, know? they always like convince, they do a lot of like speaking out loud, like convincing each other yes. how much they're in love. Yes. Like you make me better, don't you? Like you, yeah. you know, I love how you fight you. for us. Oh, it's just, it's just lines that you just are. Oh, these are people who are so estranged from themselves somehow. However, they got that way. I guess it's a typical you know, kind of modern or postmodern condition, but yeah. it's so extreme. That to hear them, and it's not like I haven't encountered this. I have encountered couples that do this. They have to be talking this kind of, I don't know, self-help book talk to each other in a way that just makes you cringe all over. Yeah. Um, Like everything does. But, you know, we we have to watch a sex scene. You're right. You know, I I agree in that, that that has less power than those kind of, you know, let's reassure ourselves lines do. (laughs) Those are worse to watch. The sex scene's awful. It's so everything about his his relationship to her especially is humiliating yes he's just constantly kowtowing and you know being overly solicitous and repressing any anger or resentment she is constantly making him do the dirty work in various types of interactions or aspects of filming or dealing with dougie and then she gets to judge and rebuke him for doing it wrong Yes. But when you see her do something, like she she has a desperate, like, you know, admiration crush on an indigenous filmmaker named, what's her name? What's her name? Kara. Kara. She's like a a performance artist, right? And a. Yes. And a, yeah, and a visual artist, I think. And a visual artist, yes. And, you know, she she has a show. It's in the second, you know, and there's just a desperate desire to befriend her on the part of Whitney. Yeah, it's just agony. It's just agony to watch. It's just agony because she she just does the wrong thing, says the wrong thing. in every way. She's out of her depth, and Ooh. she loves it so desperately. And you just it's just Emma Stone does this kind of thing so well that <laughs> she does it too well. It's so painful that yeah. I guess I'm just saying the same thing over and over. It's just layered <laughs> layered agony. It's layered social agony. there's every time it turns into another groove and you think you'll get a a little relief from the last storyline you're just in another worse storyline and you can't (laughs) so and that's gonna go on for another eight episodes after this so anyway that is my basic take so far (laughs) yeah but it is totally mesmerizing and the acting i think is so excellent like everyone i i hate this word as a like an evaluative Uh term but like truly there's so much realism Mm. in the like self-consciousness and the bullshit and the like i don't know the mendacious way everyone Mm. speaks it it registers like so accurately to me yes that that that's that's really at the center of a lot of what is agonizing is it's both you you're just like you have that outraged feeling of this should be like something that's impossibly unreal like you could never yeah. overhear this in life. At the same time, you're like, no, you could. Yes, you would. Yep. You would hear this. <laughs> you probably, yes. ha- you might have heard versions of this. Totally. Um, I think that's exactly right. And, and yeah, it's so painful. And it's, you know, part of me is like, it's kind of easy targets, but on the other hand, the targets never go away and just get bigger and bigger. So you, what can we do but keep shooting at them? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the kind of clueless white gentrifier you know, op, that's an obvious target, but I, God, they're everywhere. They even they are. They're, they're everywhere, and they're still just as clueless about being awful as ever. So it's yeah, it's it, yeah. There are I, like I just for the first time, I guess these people have been around for like a decade. But there's that HBO show with this like white couple flipping like hotels and other structures. Um, I'm so sorry, I meant to note it down. Uh, it's really famous. Um, and this is okay. This is part of the inspiration um, for the curse. Is this mm-hmm. reality show, and it's on it's on Max. 
HBO Max. And uh, I'll find it. <laughs> and uh, I, I just recently watched an episode or two, maybe like a month ago, just to see like what it was about. Because it's about um, turning old things, you know, like an old hotel or an old post office into right. something like habitable. And I, I like old buildings and stuff. And I remember watching and thinking, I bet this couple... <laughs> pardon me I had to sneeze I bet this couple are like murderers <laughs> like there's something <laughs> about them that's so psychotic and it's just beneath the surface I was like what is it uh, there's just something like there's like an edge to them that's like so happy and shiny um, mm. you know that it's like you figure they must have like a really dark side <laughs> yeah. so I, th- I think obviously that's what this is building on. Oh, I think so too. It's it's, yeah. it's it's very clearly building toward toward outright horror mayhem. It has to. There's no there's no way that the pressures building this fast in, in the series can't explode into something god awful. Just absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. So and also is awful in a different way. Everyone. Yeah. You know, I hate to say, but we're we're getting there. I mean, I don't know about. You know, most of people's experience every day, certainly from what I read on social media. Yeah. I do get the feeling everyone is being driven insane by everyone else in the world. (laughs) I feel like I'm there. You know, it's not like I can't sometimes go places and be like, oh, people here are so lovely and charming, but that's not my daily experience. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Just, and I'm assuming enough people are under enough pressure. And you know, I think that even takes in idiot rich people who are con- somehow always convinced that they're, <laughs> that they're not rich enough and that, right. and that, you know, they're somehow endangered, you know, they're, I don't know, they're, they're convinced there's going to be immediate crimes removing from all their worldly goods from them or something. So there's just a level of everyone feels under so much pressure by the heinous others <laughs> around them that yes. it's kind of exploding outward everywhere, but they, we can get... <laughs> My theory of why cringe comedy is a thing <laughs> at the end, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, okay. So the, um, the, the house fixer upper show I was thinking of, it's called fixer upper. It's actually an okay. HGTV. Um, and the hosts are Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're oh from God, Waco, the Texas. Ooh. Yeah. They look insane. Um, um and there was like a more recent one on HBO Max that I was watching, but the vibes were the same. The couple were like ostentatiously loving uh, mm. in a way that made me think like they definitely hate each other. Yeah. Um, one of them married a prostitute <laughs> or a buried a prostitute and like the other one knows, you know, like definitely one of those. Um so, uh, yeah, just like the genre is so like, you know, so much performative family togetherness comes mm. with it that it's definitely yeah. ripe for critique in that way. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, it's true. Like um, the, sh- the this genre of show pretend to some sort of like philanthropic, um, I don't know, um, what would you say, like... Uh, aim with what they do and you know you gotta wonder like what difference does it make to a community that's struggling if you punch up their post office and put like a living wall of plants on one side like i mean Mm. you know it's nice but like who's gonna pay for that where people just want but the people locals are trying to order just regular coffee and we all know we all know that phenomenon <laughs> where you have to get some elaborate fancy ass thing and you don't even want it and et cetera. So it's yes, everything there that is coming into the community isn't doesn't seem to be what they want. Totally. Yeah, of totally. course. And and there's a lot so there's all this awkwardness as, as in fact that's one of, I think that might even be the opening, isn't it? Where they're trying to get the a more happy reaction. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Right from they. Oh, God. It's the worst, most memorable Ugh. opening. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a guy in his they're, they're filming uh, a youngish man and his mm-hmm. mother. And the guy had a can't get a job. Uh, he's or no, he had what used to have a job. Uh, then he had two jobs because um, his mom is sick with cancer and he needs to like pay for her mm-hmm. um, and he can't find good steady work. And so they mm-hmm. get him a job at this like fancy coffee shop that yeah. um, the reporter dis- discovers has only signed a six month lease in the community. Mm-hmm. And th- they want the mother to be like overjoyed that they got her son a job and they keep talking to her in like bad Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put fake tears in her eyes because she yes. isn't performing <laughs> grateful she yeah. isn't performing teary gratitude well enough <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And that's Dougie's, that's Dougie's, this is standard, um, um, insistence that they do this. And, and, you know, at first you're like, okay, the, the more sensitive of them is Whitney because she <laughs> always has a huge reaction to these things. But then we're, but very quickly, you see, <laughs> she's, she's perhaps the most callous in her own way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ultimately, um, because she's the most convinced she's, this is all out of virtue that she's doing everything she's doing and she gets to rebuke everybody (laughs) for being wrong oh my god absolutely it's kind of good though i like the way they've taken the character and i don't know if this is just emma stone or what but um she seems very canny she's both naive and uncanny she's naive Mm -hmm. in the way that she's not aware uh, of her uh place her her social status and how it you know like impacts other people and how this bullshit comes out of her mouth and everyone can see right through her but she's pretty darn savvy about the way she's being depicted in the documentary Mm. and she wants control over that and she even starts to mistrust um the the director of the show Mm. um yeah doug uh, played by benny safty and um so she starts to mistrust Dougie in a way that seems like it's going to become like an interesting sort of like a uh, test of wills or something. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like very aware of how the, uh, cause she is, if there's one thing that a contemporary neoliberal subject understands, it's how they're marketed, you know, <laughs> she has yeah. like a very sensitive s- sense of how she could possibly be portrayed. Right. Um, and she's not stupid about that. So that's kind of like an interesting thing on the horizon. And and from the beginning, Dougie trying to take over, you know, how how the film is going to proceed is uh, it's another of the, the big sources of tension. And you also get a feeling of, of the show itself is pointing up like whose perspective are we going to wind up with here yeah obvious that whitney you know for one thing they see they see a show doug one of dougie's shows or it's a pilot he shot what was it called third degree love at the third degree love Love in the third degree degree. (laughs) it's one of those secret like bachelor the bachelor kind of um um you know dating things and then in the end he's revealed but it's a man with third degree burns yeah Um, so it's horrifying. And so it's the, the most all, exploitative reality show you could think of. Yeah, it's the most. Yes. And, and it's all played on, on Emma Stone's horrified face because now she realizes they're in business with this guy who has yep. no clue of the of the extremely kind of tasteful representation of like allyship <laughs> that yes. she wants to be part of. Um, so, yeah, that's true that, that she's she you're right. That she combines a kind of savvy with a kind of cluelessness that is just and they're constantly bumping up against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but did you notice, I mean, there's so many ways of shooting them through dirty glass of windows, through yes. fences, through this, all Distortions. these perspectives that are, that are really cool looking, but keep calling attention to who's looking, what's the perspective mm-hmm. about, like, what is this, you know? makes it's just there right now to it's seemingly to make you wonder Uh, yeah you're so right and i think i mean you're i I like back to like your original concept Mm. i think this is so much about self-estrangement not Mm. only like being driven mad by others but like people are so far from themselves Mm. and i mean this is this has long been a theme of like american entertainment is obviously the way that people buy into cliches and the cliches Mm. change given the time period Hmm. um the 1950s has a different set of cliches that make people feel okay about themselves and their lives than we do but these Hmm. people are really it 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 really invested in our contemporary self-help uh performative allyship performative social justice cliches Hmm. and it's always and yeah they're shot through all these like warping mirrors Hmm. and surfaces Hmm. um and i think part of that is just like the inadequacy for understanding uh it's it's really interesting because so many of the cliches are about understanding your place in the social order but of course they have that's what they lack the most well they lack so many things but they definitely lack their an understanding of their place in the social order they also lack an understanding of like their true feelings about each other Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I think the glass is like all related to that. Like no mm-hmm. one, you know, no one has an accurate assessment. It, it's right. all 
their lives are shaped by bullshit that they think they believe. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it does a, it does do a nice job with this. Does a really nice job with showing you how the affluent can be all resting on a house of of cards. Like there's this sense that they're in, that they're like, this whole thing is going to be a colossal failure. In fact, the, um, Paul, uh, Whitney's father, predicts it is. Mm-hmm. If you can't turn this around almost instantaneously and turn it into a, like a moneymaker, you're dead. So mm-hmm. there's this whole, there is this way of suggesting not only with a kind of the weirdness of the one parent we met, the mother is going to come in, you know, um, in later episodes, the incredible weirdness and kind of edge of bizarre cruelty in the dad, you know, played for very dark laughs with Corbin. <laughs> He throws tomatoes on his on his <laughs> patio that he that he fertilizes with his own urine, and this leads to this incredibly com- uncomfortable conversation with his, the son-in-law, um, Asher, um, in which he calls he refers to them both as the cherry tomato boys because apparently the father also has a very small penis and <laughs> wants to share with Asher that his daughter do- it's okay because his daughter's okay with that. And you're just oh, like, God, how would he know what? You know, so of course, Asher, when he next sees her, is just like, what are you telling your parents? <laughs> <laughs> so the, it's all emotionally fucked up. You get this feeling like the father is bankrolling this. Mm-hmm. You're not sure yet, but it seems pretty clear that that's really I think he lent happened. them a million dollars. I yeah, think so, that's oh, so what, we know. Yeah. I didn't even I think I must have missed it. So he, he literally has lent them a million dollars. And yes, and but there's going to be no mercy on them. You just get this feeling like, you know, even emotionally for sure, no mercy, but monetarily also. So that everything is even among these kind of hyper privileged people is all teetering on the brink of, of disaster. Yeah. And, yeah, and just. You know, both in terms of, you know, just their character development, who they are, who they think they are. The whole thing is so shaky that it really it's 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 a it has a kind of level of genius it, again at every level. I mean, and getting to know D- Dougie better and just being like <laughs> Dougie, too, does a kind he's out. We see him out on a date um, with a, a local woman and, and and he's telling her more and more about this his past and, you know, and how he wound up, you know, being in basically driving drunk and, and essentially having, you know, killing his wife. Mm-hmm. And he'll sort of, keep, he'll keep laughing and mocking and it gets more and more uncomfortable until he finally says, he finally shows a photo and she says she was beautiful. And he says something like, yeah, I think about it sometimes. Well, I think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, but most of the time he's, he's being kind of sadistic. He's also being kind of sadistically manipulative and and constantly joking in that way that you feel strongly none of it's a joke. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like you you feel like there's not one stable character <laughs> that yeah. you're going to spend any any length of time with. Every everyone's <laughs> everyone's whole sense of self is is so shattered already, like it never or never or never fully formed that. That, that that it makes the entire situation like terrifying <laughs> like because it can go wrong in 50 ways at any given moment so it's so true and it, it becomes so clear like even these two young people from tremendous wealth and privilege mm. are so uh yeah they that's a very good way to put it like they have no sense of themselves mm-hmm. you know and they're they're trying to like invent themselves through this they keep ap- making appeals to their values mm-hmm. again like statements ideas um but their values don't prop them up probably because they don't really embody them or understand mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and i also think like there's a somewhat there's like kind of an Im- again i keep to, to me, these, this show keeps leading me to like the impossibility of embodying those values. Right. And I don't know the answer to this. Like, how can you be right. a white person with enough money to, you know, like live quite well in a place where people are not living well mm-hmm. um, and, and not do harm? Like, it's mm-hmm. impossible, you know? So I don't, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is because I was actually trying to find local, um, uh, reviews. So I was mm-hmm. looking at the Santa Fe, New Mexican and the Santa Fe reporter to see if mm-hmm. they review this yet. They haven't. Um, but 
uh, what I did find was a report in the Albuquerque Journal from how many New Mexicans were employed by the shooting of the show, <laughs> over 150, mm-hmm. um, which was very like a boon, you know, to the people of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and like New Mexico is forever dealing with like an, it's a, you know, it's a very, it's got very big um, uh, filmmaking um, incentives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lots of tax breaks and whatever to film there. And I mean, the whole state depends basically on Californians coming in, spending their money, you know, and leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, what do you do? Like, I mean, it, people like these awful people are what keep the state going in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, at least at the moment, you know, for lack of any other kind of like meaningful uh, income source. <laughs> So just like the whole impossibility of like the state of New Mexico, the world in general, all of these places that are like, you know, Santa Fe is like post-colonial in like seven different ways. Mm -hmm. And what do we do? Like, you can you unmake the soup? Like, what do you how do you put the genie back in the bottle? I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. know the answer to this. Um, But it makes if you know, it forces me into that like deeply uncomfortable line of thought, you know. Which, you know, presumably is part of this, you know, there's no way it isn't. Yeah. It's part of the larger <laughs> project of the film is just to make you feel like, yeah, this is ghastly. There's no quite, this is cartoonishly ghastly sometimes, but in a way that you totally believe, like people often are. Yeah. But at the same time, what would be, what would the answer be? For individuals, that I, there isn't, that I know of. I don't know what that would be. You, again, one of these, we would need really hugely systemic change and huge programs. And yeah. it's not like the government couldn't do things. <laughs> yes. But it's yes. not going to. Um, there's no signs that we're interested in, I don't know, the various, you know, 1930s FDR like programs. <laughs> yeah. Um, that come in and just employ millions. Um, you know, there's going to, there's no WPA in this nation. We could sure <laughs> use one or any of the others. So, um, Indeed. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's like the oh, it's the exhaustion on all fronts <laughs> of this fight. Mm. And I mean, it's so, you know, I could I could kind of like anticipate the criticisms coming down the pike like mm. well, why concentrate on these white people again? Don't we have enough mm. movies about horrible white people? Mm. Um, but I, again, as like back to your initial statement, like mm. uh, uh, yeah, right, these are an easy target and a somewhat frequent one, but I think I think aim still needs to be taken, <laughs> you know, obviously. Yes. Uh, because it's so um I, I I find this even like listening to my students, they really believe in per, like the performance of activism, especially online. And yeah. it's important that Emma Stone's character here has a bunch of Instagram followers. That's mm-hmm. how she even um, like uh, got a name big enough to have a reality show mm-hmm. is that a lot of people follow her very expensive <laughs> design projects mm-hmm. and uh, I think that there is a naivete um, right now, at least certainly like among younger people, that mm. this like performance of, quote, values is the same thing as like embodying them or making yeah. the world a better place. And yeah. it is not. And so that's why I think, you know, among uh, many other reasons that this is like a very important show. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yes. But, no, exactly. I mean, it's just a, the difference between tweeting or well, nobody does it anymore. <laughs> posting yeah. um, your impassioned views and actually trying to do anything to change anything. The minute you try, you cannot get over how difficult the, even the simplest e- organizing politically. Yeah. It's just yeah. agony. Even if you do it in the smallest way, it's very, very, very challenging. Of course, it's very rewarding. Yeah. But and that's what they're not doing is organizing. Exactly. <laughs> but it'll quickly, quickly disabuse you of the idea of like what the world needs is for me to post about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fine. Yes. Things need to be said in the world. Sure. But if you think that's all you need to do, you should really, really try to do something in the world and see how difficult it is. And Absolutely. how much crying need there is everywhere. I mean, I guess the irony is, that we keep mentioning over and over, it's the basic to the plot is that these, these, this couple thinks they are doing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just what they're doing. They refuse to examine their own motivations, the, the sources of the income, the, what they're actually doing to the community. If they succeeded, 
and they they can't they they can't seem to see that. But you're right. There's a whole syndrome that allows you not to see that. You can slot yourself into it so easily, mm-hmm. um, and not just in this country, but in the world lately. It just seems like this is this is these are available slots for you to fill. Yeah, it, it's also a devastating critique of philanthropy. Yeah. You know, it, it, instead of as you were saying, like a mass. Um, a, a, you know, massly organized way to, you know, deal with current problems instead of the WPA, mm-hmm. you know, it like, it's this fantasy that like targeted microfinancing mm-hmm. and a handful of well-intentioned rich people can heal the world. Mm-hmm. It, it, they probably can't <laughs> because it will never be organic. It'll never come from, you know, in the, in this case, the people of Espanola, it's not answering any of their needs or desires. Mm-hmm. They don't want that stupid coffee place. It doesn't, right. <laughs> you know, it's meaningless to them. That's like nothing they wanted. Um, they, uh, the, I love that there's like um, a Native American guy, uh, a guy from the Tewa tribe um, who goes to this art exhibition. Oh, yeah. By yeah. This young woman. Yeah, that's by Kara. Barry Farmer. Did you recognize him? Yeah, from Reservation Dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And from uh, Dead Man. That's where I know him from. But yeah, he's playing James Toledo. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's awesome. He's great. And then, and, and this this woman, uh, I think her name is uh, Nijonia Austin, uh, yes. who plays Kara. She's yeah. supposed to be from Picaris Pueblo, and she's mm-hmm. doing a show, like a performance art piece. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know this this other sort of indigenous guy o- older guy uh not hip uh <laughs> not part of the santa fe art scene comes mm-hmm. to see the performance and she's been sitting in a, a teepee like you know which, which is not like a new mexican thing but it's obviously like on purpose like conjuring a stereotype mm-hmm. and um she's <laughs> you go in there with her no you know uh, all of the people at the art exhibition one by one, they go in this. Yeah, this they're all standing eagerly in line to have this experience. Yeah, <laughs> which, yes, so perfect. And she slices ham, and then like no, it, just, it seems like no matter what you do with the ham, Emma Stone eats the ham, and uh, Kara screams. Mm-hmm. Uh, this older indigenous guy comes in. Uh, Emma Stone has warned him not to eat the ham. Mm-hmm. He thanks her for the ham, doesn't eat it. She screams, and mm-hmm. he looks at her, at her, and he's like, "Is that it?" <laughs> like he calls her BS, yeah. um, which yeah. is pretty great. <laughs> with, with Emma Stone, it's a little longer. She not only screams, she says, "Why do you? Why did you do that?" So yes. it's, it's a whole, and then afterward, of course, Emma Stone is just like, "Oh yeah, that was so great. That was so." De-. She has no idea what's just happened. She has no totally. idea what what she was supposed to explain. What else? You know, when you're there's someone with a deli slicer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, slicing him and hands it to you. She didn't, she just took her best guess, but you know, that, that was, that was a, that did seem like a brilliant way of, of targeting performance art that you yeah. feel you're, you're at such an insane disadvantage. You feel like anything you do is going to be the wrong thing, but you're supposed to maintain this air of reverence. Like, yes, yes this must be very, very serious and important because it's unpleasant <laughs> and, and seems yes. to be accusing me vaguely of something. <laughs> totally totally yeah Yeah. that was nice oh my god there was another great moment at the gallery where there there uh so our main couple were staring at care a piece of kara's art Mm -hmm. and this young man came by and he he was in he said called he's they asked him if he was an artist he said sometimes and he asked if they like enjoyed or followed kara's art or were interested in it or something and they said we own four of her pieces (laughs) and (laughs) like as though ownership were the ultimate uh, mode of understanding engaging yeah. with you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i i mean ooh, that was so i mean look santa fe the shoe fits <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh my god that'd be so interesting for you because you of course you love santa fe and you love new mexico i do but, you're but it's hard not to Oh, I mean, it's it's, it's impossible. It's an impossible place. Like, I I love it so dearly. Full disclosure. Like, I used to work at the opera. So obviously, I, you know, I know all of these people uh, (laughs) who are, like, in the art place. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, that's that's my life. I used to, I actually used to, like, um, write previews for all kinds of things, but gallery shows among them. You know, so I like I've I've totally done the arts beat in Santa Fe, um, even though sorry, readers, I know nothing about visual art, really. But uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, 
oh man, Santa Fe, I don't know what to say about it. It's uh, people, (laughs) people are, they are well-intentioned, but clueless. So it's perfect. The setting could not be any more perfect. Mm -hmm. It's, it's full of like ultra progressive white people with shit tons of money from, Mm -hmm. I'm sure nefarious sources. This is the thing about money. If your family has a lot of it, it came from something exploitative. That's the (laughs) nature of capital. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So there are lots of like trust fund kids. There are lots of like, and they're not, you know, many of them are interesting people. Many of them are not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it's too fucking accurate and like, oh, just like the the overly romanticized reverence for indigenous folks. And this this series did have a good moment um, with Gary Farmer saying, mm. uh, you know, Emma Stone is being like reverent towards him and mm. flattering him in a way that benefits her, saying that she wants to show her how welcoming the native people are. And he's like, you know, I think sometimes people romanticize us. I'm from a long line of warriors. <laughs> You know, um, so yeah, basically, like, get the fuck out, and like, so the history of like New Mexico and indigenous folk is like one of uh, many rebellions. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, people fought the indigenous people fought very, very hard in New Mexico, and the pueblos. For people who don't know, New Mexico isn't full of reservations; it's it's mostly full of uh, pueblos, meaning like the people have lived there continuously, mm-hmm. sometimes for over a thousand years. So it's not a place where like they were displaced. Mm-hmm. Um, these are like people's ancestral lands. So mm-hmm. they, you know, I, I, I don't know, I can't speak personally, but I like, I, I imagine there's a kind of greater sense of like empowerment, you know, and mm-hmm. sense of like place, um, and, and belonging, mm-hmm. uh, versus all of the people encroaching on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the casinos are powerful, you know, they're, they're forces to be reckoned with, which is also illustrated in the show. Um, right. Our, the, the second episode, the, the gambling casino is clearly run by, yes, the indigenous, you know, the tribes. Owner, yeah. Owner management. Yeah. For sure. And, um, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it's like, it's a, yes, but it, I would say it absolutely nails many things. That's why I'm dying to read the local criticism. Like, what mm. are the people going <laughs> to... I mean, the, the mirror is too accurate. Like, how how will people respond to this? Um, it's so it's so interesting, though. Because there are a lot of people who do... They do want to do their best, you know? And they do want to do... There's a lot of philanthropy in Santa Fe. And yet it's it's there's so much that's unfixable like Mm -hmm. in a way you can tax people until the cows come home um and maybe you could even make the school system super you know wealthy which it's not Mm -hmm. you know um but there's like something fundamentally hurt and i i can't help i i just do think it's the legacy of colonialism and the you know trying to stamp out um, just the other cultures. I mean, I think, I think that can't be gotten over in a way. And there's so much like hurt, um, like pride and broken links. And, you know, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It's, it's the most interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like a very concentrated, good case study for the idea that just like, um, people with quote good values mm-hmm. um uh, who are of the ruling class mm-hmm. can fix the world i think it's like proof positive that like change has to come from the people who are uh, you know has to come with um like a sort of coordinated effort mm-hmm. uh come from the working class if mm-hmm. it doesn't it i don't know it it, it you know it keeps not working <laughs> In Santa Fe, despite the best efforts of of many different groups and many different kinds of people. So, yeah. Right, right. And and just knowing we're going to see this play out. I mean, again, it's it's only two episodes. I just, I can't, I can hardly express my my dread. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, and yet I will be there for all of it. But it's going to be, it's going to be. What I've read, and I I hope, I mean, I don't consider this a spoiler, but I've read Mm -hmm. that like there will be a shift and it will come to focus a bit more on the marital relationship Mm -hmm. and how, and I think they're going to have like um, a contest or like some kind of like battle to see who gets portrayed best in the reality show. Oh God. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the switch will be to like media representation, you know, which will be like pretty interesting. But, that will, but though, like, though that that's that's not as exciting, just because I think I think that's easier to take in a way. Yeah, you know, we, we're taking a shot at you know crass media representation or problems in media representation. People seem at, relatively at ease with that, perhaps because we're so soaked with media, we know we're not going to do anything about it, like not at all. <laughs> Where I think there's still hearty illusions that we're going to do something about some of the the worst problems in well everywhere but <laughs> yeah. but in specific locations and that's the more painful thing abs absolutely yeah absolutely and yeah. yeah and again just like the inadequacy of like i don't know i would like to see them form a foundation or something and see how that goes maybe they will mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> but i mean that's kind of what they're doing they're kind of doing foundation work just like yeah. on their own you know uh -huh. um and that's that's falling apart. Uh, I wonder about this all the time. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, the answer is not give up your money, even if they personally gave up their money. That's not going to solve Española's problems. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, even they are even in the within the show, like subsidizing the rent of the mm -hmm. neighbors. Yeah. Um next to Emma Stone's homes, which sounds like, you know, a good piece of direct action. It's not going to solve anything. I think this show just like makes clearer and clearer that like you need some kind of like large scale coordinated project yeah. um, coming from the bottom up to like make any sort of change. But yeah, sorry, I'm going on and on. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's, it gets you very, it does get you very embroiled. I was so eager to talk about it. It was just like, you know, you read a bunch of reviews, but that's not as satisfying. It's like it's one of those shows where you just want to <laughs> you want to hash it out once you start, once you wade into it. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I just I might as well as good a time as any to just to, I, to get into the whole cringe comedy thing. And the only reason I want to say a little bit about it is uh, when I wrote my um, um, review at the end, I made a I just threw a threw out a couple of comments and was asked by my editor to to expand on them and so i just read up on it a little bit it's very accessible anyone can there's lots and lots written that's just you know all over the place and and, and there's even a book called called cringe cringe comedy colon oh what is it a theory of awkwardness uh, by <laughs> melissa doll so it's already there's already a book so that's how long people have been talking about it. but anyway but it was at least interesting in that people seem to have nailed down um, I, I a very general kind of take on this, this subgenre, if you will. And it, basically it starts in 2000. Basically, that's what everyone says, the same thing. And they name the same three shows as kind of the instigating shows in 2000, which are Curb Your Enthusiasm, the, the, the Larry Sanders show that's still running, um, uh, uh, um, the, the Ali G show, if you remember, Sasha Baron Cohen's, the, 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 his first big character out of the gate before Borat became the more famous. Um, and then the the British version of The Office, and of course, then there was the milder, milder um, uh, American version, but it's still cringe comedy. Mm -hmm. And again, it's all about you know the the the, the humor arises out of this this <laughs> this vicarious embarrassment that gets cranked higher and higher. Um, you know, and part of the the type the 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 kind of effect it has is. Like with horror film, people will ask you who can't stand to watch this stuff, how can you stand to watch this stuff? And people always ask, if you're a horror fan, you know that question. People always, you know, with a, with a slightly disgusted tone, they'll always ask you that as if there's something wrong with you or you couldn't sit there and watch it. So Melissa yeah. Dahl in her book apparently argues it is like a horror film in that the, 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 the quality of watching it at a distance makes it, the, the pleasure is somehow in that. It's not happening to you directly. <laughs> it's happening to the person you're identifying with. So it yeah. gives you a safe space to go through this. Whereas it doesn't tell you why you want to go through it. <laughs> yeah. So that's still kind of a question, that, which nobody really addresses in any of these pieces. They, they kind of note those qualities they describe. There's lots more shows, of course. Just, there's a tidal wave of them starting in, the, in, in 2000. And, you know, of course, comedy's always had a cringe factor. There's always been like, you know, you can go back to, you know, ancient Greece and, you know, the, there's uh -huh. a way of social control. It's a form of social control. You have, you have someone whose behavior is, is regarded as bad, foolish, whatever, and you hold them up to mockery and laughs. 
So it's not like this, this is brand new, but it's just that there's a highly noticeable intensification of the shame embarrassment aspect to comedy um, that's very, very popular since 2000. Um, but yeah, nobody really gets into like, but, but why? Why would you watch this? Why, especially when shame is the thing that you dread most in your life and it stays freshest in your emotions forever. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, so of all things to want to experience <laughs> shame and embarrassment, even, you know, at a remove is such a strange, such a strange thing. So I wound up raving and ranting about how it's, it's, I think we're in an era where we're just made to be more and more aware through, through media, through, that, that everyone is kind of pressing close, that, that, that the kind of hell is other people syndrome <laughs> is, is, become, is becoming morbidly acute. And especially as there's no way you can avoid, you know, getting the sense that we're in crisis times, mm-hmm. that, you know, more and more we're going to have to rely on each other that we're, we're, we could even wind up on a limited, much more limited landmass because of climate change and catastrophe, climate catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's warfare, there's refugees, there's people fleeing, and that more and more in all this kind of catastrophe, we're becoming more and more aware of our interdependence. We have to depend on each other, and we're finding each other <laughs> more and more awful, which is especially a, you know, a social media phenomenon. But, people have written endlessly and talked endlessly about is why is everyone such an asshole as soon as they get on social media? <laughs> Not everyone, but a huge majority of people get way more aggressive. They've done lots of studies. Um, way more aggressive, way, way more likely to go on the attack, way more insulting, way more everything. And it's like the more we're in a 24-hour news cycle, the more we're on social media all the time, the more we feel people pressing close, and the more acutely we become aware of the unbearability <laughs> of people's behavior and that's mm-hmm. going to have a direct impact on us. So that's my big theory <laughs> that I've given be- you. No, I love it. I, th- I mean, I think that's so true. And I love, um, I was thinking about the meaning of the curse and I think it's related to what you're mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a base, like at first I was seeing this and I still see it this way. Like the curse is, I, I, I can't not see this show from a like colonial lens to me. Right, the curse right, is absolutely. like, Right. The the curse of white people is that you made a world now mm. where like there's nothing you have to live in your own hell, you know, the yes. hell of your own making. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and there's nothing you can do no matter how, quote, you know, like well-intentioned you are. There's mm-hmm. almost nothing you can do about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to bear the responsibility and the and the guilt mm-hmm. for this and also like the lack of place within it. Like mm-hmm. the white people have no cohesiveness among themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like they're the ones most estranged both from themselves and each other. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is the curse of generations of exploiting others. And um, I've like I found that especially resonant. There's a scene where Emma Stone, Emma Stone's character is presumably not um, Jewish, Mm -hmm. but her husband, Asher Siegel, is. Mm -hmm. And it's I I think they're having it's like they're having dinner. And I think it's some kind of I I don't know if it's a Seder or what. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the Emma Stone character is like, um performing like for her her parents are not jewish her dad wears like a yarmulke i guess to be respectful maybe to be playful um and she's like saying these hebrew prayers that she learned uh you know in in kind of like how to be a good jewish spouse class Mm. and she she knows more about the history of why certain rituals exist than her husband who is jewish Mm. says the prayers with less finesse but seems to like know them in his bones you Mm. know and there's something about him about her like taking on these traditions in in the absence of her own that's mm-hmm. that's like part of the curse you know mm-hmm. and it's the reason that like one would be attracted to espanola because mm-hmm. it's got like a quote culture uh and like she keeps using the word like vibrancy um, <laughs> right that, right that, that that you lack and the white people's home in Santa Fe, the parents' home mm-hmm. is like full of this. I mean, I love it. I love the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's full of this beautiful folk art, which is so they nailed it. Like in Santa Fe, like the rich people don't, you know, the homes inside, they look warm and they're inviting. They're not like ultra minimalist, mm-hmm. but like that folk art is like a gajillion dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of like lived in like cute, you know, New Mexico cottage like cost so much money. But um and like again, it's just like a 
pulling from other people what you yourself lack, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I don't know. That's my long winded, like, yeah, totally agree. <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, the curse amounts to like white people's like historical inability to honor the obligation we all have to each other as human beings, you know, mm-hmm. to honor the earth, to honor all this, you know, to honor each other as like fellow, you know, it, sentient creatures. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> you didn't sign up for this. This is the show. I just, I'm telling you, the show yeah. drives you toward it. Or at least yeah. I should. That's why I was disappointed in some, some of the longer, you know, reviews, thinking they're going to have to get into this. And not really. It's so true. And, so, and a lot of them, you know, they, they had the benefit, obviously, of they got to watch all 10 episodes. They had them sent to them. So it was just like, really? You don't have anything more to say than that? I know. Yeah. Oh, I think it's just, no, I, I can't stop. It, the curse is that I can't stop thinking about the curse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I think you nailed it. I love that. I love that. I can't believe I hadn't already thought that that's, of course, that's what it is. <laughs> that's obviously it. Yes. Well, we worked it out. We solved it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and oh we still my God. have eight more episodes. Um, yeah i'm so excited to watch the end of it (laughs) (laughs) well i don't think we're going to get a better a better finale than that that was great dolores thank you (laughs) that through (laughs) anytime (laughs) and that's it for our episode that we're calling blessings upon the curse thank you dear listeners and of course triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in nambe pottery remember that Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up to Patreon for all the film suck content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more of this kind of scintillating film suck conversation in which we solve everything about everything. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, thank you all again for listening. Bye. Bye.